Hello and welcome to the DanceCast, where I explore dance as an art form, traveling to non-traditional places and with non-traditional doers. I'm your host and my name is Silva Lakkainen. In this episode of DanceCast, I got to talk to Amy Legendre. I met her for the first time a couple of years ago, and she told me about her inspiring work with incarcerated men. In the beginning of this episode, she will read us an article that she wrote to Contact Quarterly about her work. It is very touching and inspiring and funny. As the whole episode is, she's touching, inspiring, funny woman. We had some technical difficulties, so there are little caps in her chatting, but, you know, you can get it. It's just annoying sometimes. But before we get there, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about Amy. She's the wellness coordinator and a dance professor at Bard College. As a professor and artist, her research and teaching focuses on performance improvisation and creative process work as it relates to questions about virtuosic bodies and unkempt bodies. As a wellness practitioner, she teaches classes that blend mindfulness, empathy and contemplative practices with working community building and engaging social justice with embodied practices. She founded Legendre Performance Group, creating contemporary dance work in Seattle for 15 years. Since relocating to New York 10 years ago, she taught dance to incarcerated men through Bard Prison Initiative and rehabilitation through the arts. She's currently performing a new dance slash theater solo called I'm Looking at You as If, about her experience teaching dance to men in prison. Legendre has been constructing, teaching and performing a series of site-based custom-made solos for one performer and one spectator called Evidence. She also works and performs with Zamboni, a group of local dance and music artists who research and perform compositional improvisation. And now, here we go. Okay. This piece is called Surrender, Dance in Prison. I sweated a lot the first day I taught dance at the prison. The prisoners sweated a lot. Prison is not a place that invites you to be embodied in a risky way, to sweat together, especially men and women. Men and women. It's the small print in the contract that one implicitly signs when entering a men's prison as a woman. You will not have a body. Your body will be as unexpressive, conservative, packaged, normative, and erased as possible. And then we sweat. 13 guys showed up for class. I worked damn hard to get each guy there. In many ways, I've been working for the last four years to inculcate in them an interest in taking a dance class. I've tried to sell it as a fun time, a fitness class, a historically relevant context for other studies, an exotic road to self-discovery, a return to the b-boy days, a chance to buck expectation, not your run-of-the-mill prison class. Just get your ass in there. It's not clear what I can and can't do in the prison. Can I touch? Can I wriggle my spine? Can I sing? Can we laugh? How loud can we be? Can I reveal my vigor, my raucous and provocative nature? How do I bring out my full teacher persona when I'm being surveyed? What exactly are they surveying? The men have very developed notions of attention and focus, of discipline and subservience. This is going to be a challenging line to walk, how not to disturb what these men value in the sense they have of order and status, 
but rather to instigate invention, ownership, fun, and sidestepping discipline in order to make sense of the impulses that lie underneath discipline. I am the only one who takes my socks off. Most are reluctant to take off their shoes. No one takes off their socks. Desmond leaves his sneakers on and leaves a few hunks of dirt in the middle of the floor from his treads, right in Abdullah's space. I use my hands to sweep it up instinctively. I take on the role of the space steward, making their humble temple worthy of dancing. They find this kind of offensive. Whoa, let's just get a broom. What are you doing? Don't crouch down like that and use your hands to wipe up dirt from the bottom of some guy's sneaker. I like the notion of me making clean space for them. Mostly I'm not willing to indulge in their real or faux chivalrous act, which can mean waiting for 15 minutes for them while they find the broom for me. They're wily about finding ways not to dance, of slipping out, of making the teacher's plan backfire. So I do it. I clean the space myself. Desmond takes his shoes off now. We started with breath. Lots of counts, lots of breathing. I give them handles to hold onto the material to get connected to coordination. Some modern dance vocabulary, ideas about learning and how we learn, and questions about courage and group identity. I also tried to exhaust them. I tried to show off some. I yelled some. I had them do some African dance. We did some hip hop. I pulled many of my best tricks. I exhausted myself. We have a live musician who is terrific. We are joined by two incarcerated musicians who have major chops. They pour out live infernal percussion and guitar for us to dance to. We make a world in this little music room. The heat is on like 120 degrees. It's like Bikram African modern. At first I liked sweating, now we can't stop. I have not felt the gesture of kindness embedded in the act of teaching so poignantly before. I go off on my little trip about it. Sometimes I blow myself away, noticing the little surrender that we actually do and how, in the presence of such heat, in this tiny room with music blasting, in this prison, it feels like real witness. I adore Jabbar. He must be 45 or so, the only one in the class I think older than me, almost a foot taller than me. He takes the middle of our tiny classroom with grace and ease and really has fun with his body flying through space. He's the guy in class that does the most teaching for me. The kind of teaching I can't do myself because I can't be an incarcerated black man with no previous training in dance who attacks the class with a gifted blend of perspective, ease, and sense of humor that I'm trying to introduce and enforce. Jabbar just does it. He just gets it. Real fun and curiosity and who cares? Desmond's pumped iron for 23 years. He won't do a plie without grimacing, like every move, is, every move is a set of squat thrusts. I see that this is a learned habit, to move with effort, to make a face, to demonstrate and support work. Is it feminine to move with ease? Is it too graceful? I can't get under this. I wonder how this information that I'm sharing about moving with efficiency will sit with him. He is attached to working hard, and he won't stop grimacing. I pour language out all over them. I try to douse them in the classroom with the ideas that I want to shape, to pour enough interesting concepts and considerations in the room that all fear and stubbornness will dissipate. I want to work with some of Deborah Hay's work. Quote, my body needs stillness. My body needs rest. My body likes puzzles. My friend Juliet Mapp gave me the words that guided one of Deborah's processes of late. And her question was, what if where I am is what I need? I thought about using this phrase in class as a seed for moving through whatever we were doing. And then I thought, Am I asking them to consider that prison is what they need? I didn't use it. Many of the writings they do for me about their mothers, 
They tell stories of how their mothers introduced them to dance. I asked them to speak the names of their mothers, to put that in the room. I realized that I would do this kind of thing in any other teaching environment, but I wonder if doing it in the prison is appropriate, if I am opening wounds by bringing family into the room. These family members perhaps contributed to trauma, or at least suffered their own pain at the crimes and incarcerations of their sons. We do it anyway. A few guys speak their mother's name with pride and love, a few are reluctant. There was also a lot of silence. We salsa solo style with their mother's name swirling in the air. What do I do when they're whining and being chumps and they don't want to work? Should I continue in the next class to articulate my interest in their moving from sensation and intrinsic curiosity more than from orders and demands? I'm trying to undo something I'm not sure can be undone in this environment. I will leave at the end of the semester having picked at a structure like a scab that may be necessary for their sense of well-being. I'm not sure what the right thing is to provoke, disturb, open, permit, or to leave their adherence to top-down structures alone. The floor is totally ready and clean now by the time I get there. We begin almost right away after appropriate schmoozing and stalling. Now when I walk in there, there is a raucous sound of drums pouring out the door as they each take turns on the drum kit while the temple cleaning takes place. They are beginning to own their space to rely on our ritual. Start lying on the floor. Do the efficiency with the head thing. We're doing it. We are lying down on the floor in kind of an X. Hassan is into it. Desmond can barely stand it, but he does it. Casey closes his eyes and he goes inward and it takes my breath away. This often happens for me. I love watching people with their eyes closed, preparing, resting. I am grateful and appreciative in a bigger way. I have a small sense of what it has taken to find something like real rest and to find it so far down. I read Ruth Zipporah. What if you experience first and name later? Eddie helps Hassan with the chasse hop step. Hassan is determined to get this thing. Eddie can do it in his sleep. No one takes their socks off. They go around like slipping fairies. Why the hell would they want traction? Why the hell wouldn't they want traction? What is it about bare feet that's so taboo? The music is really rocking. Cahil and, jo and Jose have created a rhythm stew, crazy three and five, complicated and terrific. Slide is rapping in the background when it's not his turn to dance. I am overjoyed. He got it. He got it. He understood that he is invited to create impulsively, let something flow through him. We improvise on the weight shift phrase. I offer a score in which they can enter and exit as they want, change direction and change facings. One person has to remain taking a solo. The score is not done till a soloist is left playing or dancing. Slide is the soloist, soft and efficient, quiet and marking it. He's in his sock, so he can't bear much friction. He goes for it anyway. It's both beautiful and stunted, slippy, trippy, and at the same time, effectively careful. He is embarrassed by the attention, but he gets that he can't back out. We watch the film Dance, a very dangerous pastime. They are blown away by Louise Le Calvier, her androgynous presence, the natty way she goes about manifesting the same ballet as the long goddess woman from the previous ballet scene. Slide declares that he does not want to see or make work that doesn't have content, a social heart. More musicians than dancers today. They are a tired lot. There is this and that prison thing that makes them late. Casey is hurt beyond pushing through the pain as he usually does. We dialogued about it in his journal. I was glad he opted to sit out and watch. He was more attentive and supportive as an observer than as a participant. He has self-selected big brother as his role in the group. 
I love to watch his joy at watching the other men in the class. He is shyly smiling at the corner, in the corner from their efforts, their talent, their willingness, and the shit that they can't do to save their lives. Only I can see him smile. We did gesture phrases at the end. Good discussion on literal versus abstract, behavioral versus expressive. Each guy made two gestures, one for something behavioral that a family member does, and one for an expressive gesture that holds or represents the energy or affect of this person. This is hard stuff for them. We were rushing. They gave simple ideas. I was very touched. Eddie wouldn't say who his family member was. His gesture was to pick his thumbnail with his ring finger loudly and repeatedly. It was grinding and funny. It was true. He didn't have an expressive gesture. It was all he could do to come up with the behavioral one. He didn't sign up for this class to do gestures about his family. <laughs> he wants to dance. Hassan finds out whether he's released or not today. He took the first 30 minutes of class, then had to leave to find out whether he gets to go home or has to serve another two years in prison. It was excruciating to consider what he was thinking and feeling as we were dancing with him, awaiting the decision that had already been made on behalf of his life. We're going to talk about the Cynthia Novak material today, contact improvisation. So I begin in counterbalance, teaching them a bit of contact to fortify the later conversation. The whole class ended up being a rumination on surrender, surrender to the ensemble, to the music, to gravity, to momentum, to each other. We swam in that for a while. I'd felt way out there on a crazy lady limb, even though I gave them one tiny piece at a time. I'm the crazy contact lady. Abdullah actually said, you embody these ideas. He may not like the aesthetic of surrender to momentum, but he gets that it's a set of ideas tethered to a whole philosophy of action in the world that I privilege. I worked with Desmond for most of the time. It was a lot to get him to trust that I could support him in counterbalance. Though truth be told, I barely could. He's a humongous weightlifter. I suspected that it was actually almost insulting if I could support him, that it might mean something suspicious about his masculinity. Why is he asking a woman to support him? try it a few more times. I take a huge risk and I show a DVD of my own work. It engendered a nice talk about modernism versus postmodernism. I want them to see contact in action as well as a project deeply defined by postmodern urges. It was a lot for me to expose myself that way. Plus every dancer and the audience members in the video were white. I showed a Donald McHale piece with eight men from 1959, a modern work if there ever was one. Most of the guys loved it. They related to the shirts off steamy masculinity, to the clear relationship to music, to the, represent to the representational nature of a group of men being on a chain gang. Abdullah said, shit, I'd like my girlfriend to see me doing that. She'd go nuts. I loved the truth of that, that he speaks his truth always, and the beauty wrought from extraordinary effort that the McHale piece betrays. I felt overwhelmed with depression for a moment as I left, feeling like I wouldn't be able to go further because I could never make a piece like that with them a piece they could imagine sharing with their families and the general prison population. That work is not from my center. Tricky business considering choreography in prison. Final projects happen. The work was tentative and brittle and not nearly as powerful as the dancing and improvising that's been going on in class in general. However, Casey and Desmond work beautifully together. Casey really slowed down and worked Desmond into the small piece they made, which in the end had at most eight counts of unison material. But damn, they nailed those eight counts. As I watched them work, I was suddenly struck with fear that the whole thing would fail. The whole thing would fail. 
I saw that the simple eye contact of minor collaboration like this was almost too intimate. They each took an improvised solo supported by the other dancer in stillness with his arms outstretched, facing boldly downstage. I almost drowned in pride when Desmond took his solo, Casey standing there like a referee, a tree, a man, holding stark still so his partner's dancing could be appreciated. Abdullah and Eddie's duet was terrific. They're both hilarious and talented and really easy with the phrase. They made a goofy exit, one dragging the other off, somebody making a face. Just to be seen dancing and not necessarily making a story or a message is not what these two are interested in or feel comfortable with. Me and my big postmodern ideals. I had them do writing assignments through the semester. One assignment was to write a reflection on any number of the articles and essays I included in the reader I put together. Desmond writes his on a contact quarterly article by Sox Sperry called Let Go My Fist, Witnessing Violence and Compassion in Men. He first writes that he wonders why I'd, why I'd included it. Do I think all men in prison would relate to an article on male violence? Why do I think they need to read this? But he goes on to detail a shift, a discovery. He writes that despite having processed the violence of my childhood and its relationship to his being in prison, he newly identifies as an abuser and recognizes that although he'd not committed physically violent acts towards women, he'd been guilty of acts of emotional violence. He ends by sharing that this reading had prompted him to write a letter to his baby mother, apologizing for the first time in 23 years for the pain he'd caused her. Second to last day. I show dance films. Abdullah and Victor ask me when I'm going to perform for them. Come on, it's only fair. We perform for you. I allow myself to get roped into performing on our last morning. I feel intimidated and a little horrified that I will inherently be too postmodern for them, that I'll destroy the common ground we've built. But I also feel generous and open to finding a real connection through live performance. Am I an improviser or not? Perform for them. I want to deeply rely on the fact that I understand what's been going on, that I'll see them seeing me, that I can tap into our common ground and amplify. Last day. We're not in our usual room. The syllabus agenda is to finish with a few last films and discuss. No one except Abdullah and Victor suspect I have prepared to perform. I dress in a danceable, kind of not danceable outfit. I can go either way. I am practicing being the ultimate flexible woman performer improviser. I can roll with anything. There's a moment in which I will have to say, hey guys, I wanna perform for you. Maybe I'll turn the chairs around myself. Maybe I'll take my shoes off and begin. I had stressed over a score that had the right mix of playfulness, participation, and resonance for hours. But what if the guards walk by and see me doing this? Bottom line, is there any way I could pull this off without a measure of culturally invented coquettishness embedded in this offering? I basically have to argue for my place to perform for them now, to beg to dance for them. It doesn't occur to me until now to say, I want to dance for you. I'm reading the situation. I am astutely reading it for safety and rightness. I don't want to jeopardize the program or my reputation. I don't want to think of myself in terms of reputation. How can this gift not seem like a loss of authority? I don't do it. I introduce the film. I pop it in. We watch someone else, not me. We watch and we talk right up to the end of the session. It's great. We're moved and inspired by the images in our own talking. There isn't much chance for sentiment. The officer is here to escort me out. And this is how we back out. This is how we separate. We part. We disengage. We cover ourselves back up a little. There is no more dance scheduled for the foreseeable future. We don't know when we'll work again. 
We all go into the brouhaha that is movement, that is to say, civilians leaving and prisoners moving to their cells to get counted. We all have our shoes on. Amy, that is amazing. Thank you so much for reading it. Oh, my pleasure. It sends me right back in there and all those incredible emotions of such appreciation and awe and honor and also the incredible sadness of that last gesture and kind of my own sense of failing myself, even though in some ways I understand that that was the only choice to have been made in that moment. I Okay, I'm going to introduce you now. I'm talking with Amy. Can you help me to pr pronounce your last name? Lejeand. Beautiful. Residing in New York State, dancer, quirk, fur teacher. What else? What else do we call you? Improviser, mama, <laughs> mindfulness practitioner, empathy maker, lady, crazy lady. <laughs> and we're, I'm, I'm here to especially talk to you about your work with, in, with incarcerated men. And this article was about how long was this process? So the process of this class was a nine-week class in wow. particular. So well, right I got a sense of like longer. a much longer time. I was thinking it was like a year. Well, it was twice a week for nine weeks, that particular process. So 16, 16, 20 sessions we had together. Wow. And how many times have yeah. you done the nine-week nine course? That particular structure I just did it that once okay but, but you worked more than that nine weeks in it in right a, yeah right through another program that was also actually in one of the same prisons so involved a lot of these same men I worked for Bard Prison Initiative as a as a tutor and as a director of a lecture program so I knew these guys under different auspices and they knew I was a dancer but hadn't studied with me yet so and then there was another program that I got involved in that's called rehabilitation through the arts and it's through that program that I worked for about two years ongoingly once a week with a different group of men. A little bit of a different agenda. It was more experimental. We didn't have a final project. They weren't being graded. I wasn't there as a faculty member. I was there as an artist, which can take all kinds of shapes and forms. Oh, so this is part of their studying this 9 yes. course. They were graded. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So this is part of their degree-bearing program is that dance was offered as a regular class right alongside history and sociology and psychology and the other work that they were expected to do to fulfill their degree requirements. That is absolutely oh. phenomenal. Wow. Is that program still going on? Oh, hell yeah. It's actually a model program for the country to look at how to do how to afford, how to create, how to, how to kind of combine college communities and college faculty communities with incarcerated communities and bring back programming that used to happen a lot before Clinton, honestly, and before a lot of Pell Grants were canceled and so that there just wasn't the funding and the connections anymore. So New York State is a big place for it because it's a little bit more supported here politically and because there's a couple of individuals at Bard College who started this and then did all the independent fundraising so the, so the public is not paying for this at all. It's a privately funded set of um, programs. And it does entail that the prison system itself, the Department of Corrections, is behind it thoroughly so that they can allow our coming and going, which happens endlessly and all the time, and also kind of controls the movement of the men internally throughout the system. Because anyone who's worked in prison might know that there's a number of different systems that are state and federal throughout the state 
and men are moving for all different kinds of reasons, partly because they're getting closer to the end of their sentence. So they're going maybe from maximum to medium security. There's a conflict with a number of different inmates. There's a punishment desire to send them far away from their family or to the community that they know. And so the program has to have some kind of continuousness or these men are getting interrupted. So the, so once they're in the program, there is some kind of commitment to help this individual man see his way through the end if he wants to do that. So we have programs in a number of different prisons in order to do that, although there's an AA program that's in a few places. And the BA program, because it's more concentrated and serves less men and is harder to get into, is only in one prison. And so those men actually, oddly, they travel from a medium security prison to a maximum security prison in order to get their BA. So there's a lot of guys who work so damn hard through their whole sentencing to get out of maximum security to medium, and then are willing to go back to live in a maximum security prison because that is the place where their BA education happens. Wow. So the university partners up with the prison system. Yes. It's really with the department of corrections. Yep. And then obviously we have little relationships that are built throughout with the, um, with each individual prison. Oh, wow. Wow. That is amazing program. And is this particular for only New York? Um, I wish I had the, all the information I could, tell you about all different states. I do know that this program, Bard Prison Initiative, has been awarded a number of different national grants to export their model of how they're doing prison education at this moment in time, which means a privately funded um, degree-bearing program that comes or is authored by a college that lives close enough by to a set of prisons that faculty members can meaningfully get to the prison, because obviously you've got to go to the prison to do the education. You can't get the guys out. So it takes a, you know, it takes somewhat of a similar setup in that way, but there are many, many colleges nationally that have, that could fulfill all those things. And so, so they've been educated in exporting this particular process to talk about how do we do writing programs? What happens? How do you do science when you don't really have a lab around? How do you do practicing arts when you have to get materials in there? How are we going to, what can we do and what can't we do realistically? How do we make relationships with the educators that are already there? Because in this place that's called the school, there's a handful of rooms, and in the case of this, is about 10 rooms, and these 10 rooms are scrupulously scheduled by any number of different programs that all have a stake in wanting to have their program exist in this area. And so um, it's really important to have a high sense of respect for all the other programs and a delicacy about where you tread and recognizing that there's many other, there's anti-violence programming, there's HIV and AIDS education programming, there's GRE programming, there's GED, excuse me, GED, I don't think there's GRE programming. And all of that is going to get displaced by another college education program that needs space and wants classroom space. And so it all has to be juggled very gingerly and with tremendous respect and with the kind of authority and massive embrace of the director of programming at each site. So there's like, you know, a big, big state. And then there's all these like, as, as all institutions are, these micro spaces with their own power systems in which important relationships need to get made to make sure that there can be an easy passage of this education. Yes. Oh, my God. That is Absolutely amazing. Right? Sounds like I, I'm I'm speechless now. I don't know anymore what to say, Amy. Like your 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 blog or your article. This is me. I know, I know, I'm, but, I'm a, but you're part of it. System. Yeah, yeah, you're part of it, and I, I I was just so I'm so happy to hear that that is actually happening. Yeah, it's so heartening, and it doesn't 
necessarily get out. I would say that BPI has gotten some pretty great national press, BPI again, Bard Prison Initiative. And maybe one of the spaces in which they've gotten some recent press is that there was, there's the debate team inside the prison and they were just allowed, or maybe this is a year ago, so it's fairly recent, but not, not exquisitely recent. They were able to debate the Harvard debate team. So this is the Harvard team on the Harvard campus in Boston. And the Harvard team was able to come in and compete in debate against the Bard Prison Initiative debaters. And I wish I knew the topic off the top of my hand, but you could totally find this out. And BPI won. Oh, wow. And it was BPI won. And this was so, it was like just so powerful and delightful that, that they beat Harvard, right? Like, huge emblem of like elitism and education and privilege. Here are these utterly unprivileged men who beat Harvard. Sweat and tears through their articulation, through their hard work, through their powers of persuasion. So that got covered around a, a, a lot. And so more and more through all kinds of different things. There's a few film projects that are happening that are about individual men in the program. Um, more and more as guys are starting to get out, they're doing incredible and powerful things on the outside. And so that's having a slow reverberation about people who are learning about the program as well. Very low recidivism rate. And as they do more, as they gather more data on what, how this actually affects men's lives who are outside and have completed their sentence, that starts to also gather a bit of steam and create a sense of um, safety, I think, for the program. Because there's many of us who can get behind it in theory, but to have data behind it that says, yeah, these guys are really finding jobs that are interesting and powerful. They're sticking with those jobs. They're continuing their education and they're engaging in their family in meaningful ways. And most of all, they are not recommitting crimes. They're moving on to meaningful lives that participate meaningfully in society. And RTA is another program too. I don't think it's not quite as, um, it's not quite as strong an institutional structure. So they haven't been able to do some of that same kind of data finding, but it's been around for 10 or 15 years as well. And I might be underestimating the length of time that it's been around. So there is enough data collecting going on to also recognize that working together through the arts, even though there's no degree, there's no cultural stamp at the end, there still is a sense of commitment to being together in a program and supporting mutual self-expression. And that those processes lead also to different kinds of civic success on the outside so that's really spectacular too so you've been working with both of those programs both of those programs i have in the past worked with i currently don't at the moment but i have done those things yes both those programs and you know you told me um i know in the end of this uh, article you did not end up performing for the guys but you told me once that you did end up the, the guys are asking please perform to us and you end up performing and using uh, um, Lisa Nelson's work right the tuning score yeah. I did yes initiative and is a little bit more formal and some of it had to do with the shape of the rooms honestly and that the room that I was in for the final class on this one had a big window in which there was um, you know, this easy access to look and see what's going on. And so there's a sense I just had to be cautious about what might have been, what kind of conclusions might have been made about a woman performing in front of a seated group of men as a correctional officer was walking by. And you can imagine, depending on holding your mind, what are the ways that we can imagine an embodied woman performing for some distance, you know, seated men. Ah. But RTA program, they... Um, allowed us in a room that didn't have any windows 
and the guards would stay on the outside. And so there was a sense of trust that had been built over time that more or less whatever was going to happen in the room could happen in the room. And at the end of the two-hour session that we worked, they would come in and they would get us. So it wasn't like anything goes. It wasn't a sense that trust had been established. And often a number of us would go in together. There was a few times I went in alone, but often I would go in with another director and possibly even another teacher. But so this was early on in our training in which it was almost that same kind of chops like you're making us perform for us. What do you got? What do you got? You got to show up. And I totally recognize, yeah, I got to show up. I got to show up. Right. Like who cares whatever credentials I might or might not have or whatever authority I might tell you that I have. Can you do the moves? Do you got what it takes? Also, will you make yourself vulnerable in front of us in the way that you are making us be vulnerable in front of you? Let's go, girl. No, I, I, I think it's fair. I, I, I totally agree. I see your point. Right? It's like step up to the vows of humanity that you're preaching. So, yeah, so it, they, when I had done this, they had just maybe two or three weeks so they had just finished a play called Jitney by August Wilson. And it's one of the very few plays that has almost all men. And it's actually about a young man who gets incarcerated and um, then comes out in his relationship with his father, who kind of won't forgive him. He's seeking his father's forgiveness. It was very beautiful. And before I went to go teach, I went to go see this play. So I got to see these guys perform, who I knew I would then later be working with. So I invited them to do a tuning score. And I just explained the pretty basic thing. You can say stop, you can say go, you can say rewind, you can say fast forward. I think I gave him those few commands. And then I said, but any time you like from your character in Jitney, right? And they just done it a week ago, a full evening length play. So that those characters were still fresh. And I will respond to that line through my dancing. So we had this kind of call and response, dialogic kind of thing. So some guys would say their line and juxtapose it to what I was doing. These brutal and beautiful characters. And then some guys would have a stop and go, rewind, fast forward. And so this whole beautiful, it was like just beautiful. It was just exquisite. And it was And it was so different from that kind of... Um, like, let's see it. Come on, kick it up. Do it for me. Like that sitting down with full expectation to like, show me, give me, do for me. It was this collective act of performing together where there was an embodied person who's doing something kind of abstract, but made somehow more literal because of the language that was being used by these guys from something that just had meant so much for them. So like not to sing my praises exactly, but, but I was thrilled to have these skills that came from my, the improvisation training, my own heroes to help us basically do kind of an act of dance literacy in some ways, both to bring language and then to bring a, to bring a practice in that lets us see how people make decisions inside of improvisation. Oh, I, that sounds fantastic. Fantastic. I mean, I, what you told me like a couple of years ago about it and it has stuck in my mind, the whole idea. And I didn't even know the whole story. You know, you didn't, you didn't tell me about the, the performance. You just said you, you used the, the, the commands, um, and I, I, that, even that idea, I was like, that's brilliant. That's like really good. Um. It's a fun one. That's the first time I think I stumbled upon that in the heat of the moment. And I've continued to use that score when I, when I'm doing community-based performances that are not necessarily in prison, but they're with a p group of people who I suspect don't have the same kind of dance training that I do and have a different kind of literacy, but watching abstract bodies move and doing that is such, it feels like it opens the brain of the improviser, right? So you can see, oh, that's how she's making decisions. That's what she's tracking. That's why she's doing that or that or that. 
because she's slowing it down or moving faster or rewinding it or adding something or developing. So it becomes this kind of dance literacy in action, which has meant a lot for me as I move further and further away from only teaching people who have the same kind of education that I do, but into communities that have different experiences so with the body. So talk to me a little bit more about that. Who, who else do you work with? What, what other work do you do? You teach your adjunct professor? Our college, yep. So I teach with the undergrads, but I have a couple different populations. Um, I teach regularly and have for the last five years for a grad program here called Vocal Art Performers. So they're classical singers and not dance trained at all. Young people in their 20s who are going to go on and have a classical singing career if they have anything to say about it. And they're fabulously trained people, but not really, you know, depending on if they took a jazz class when they were 10, maybe they did, but they're not practicing postmodern dance. And so that stuff comes up a lot, how to make sense of what it means to be an embodied state, how to communicate with your audience members, how to communicate amongst each other, so that we're not doing these things that are like so esoteric and opaque, and how do we unpack it, right? That's a great way. And I have to teach a group of older women who are a part of a project at Bard called LLI, which is called Lifelong Learning, the Lifelong Learning Institute. And so it's a group of kind of massive group of people in the community, not necessarily related to Bard, but have made a relationship with Bard and get Bard professors to teach short versions of classes they usually teach for free. So they asked if I would teach a movement improvisation class. And I was like, I would look, yes, let me figure out how to work with some older folks. And it turned out that it was older women and it was this beautiful committed group of seven. I just finished it on Monday. It was my last session. My mom was in that class, which was so spectacular and special for me because she has seen so much dance in my day, but she's but we've never worked together. So that was an extra special thing. Um, and using all this stuff was really meaningful and important because of course they don't care about careers in dance. They care about feeling good in their bodies, making relationships with one another, discovering something about themselves. Permission, that was the biggest thing. When I walked into that class, I said, here's what I'm about. I'm about creating some endorphins, that matters to me. I'm about playing inside of the, the tension between structure and freedom. And I'm about permission. That's what is most important, to let go, to do something. We need structure and freedom inside there to give ourselves permission, but we have to constantly remind ourselves of permission. And sometimes literacy, the idea of being equipped by literacy, it gives us permission, right? Because we know what we're saying now instead of feeling like it's so vague and blobby and unintelligible. So that was fun. That was a great thing. Awesome. That sounds amazing. But you said that program just finished? That particular seven-week session just finished, yeah. So maybe I'll do another one. Can you going to repeat it? You're going to get to do it again? I could. I could totally get to do it again. Um, see how much time I got. I'd love to. Or it makes me, it, it piques my imagination right now about how might I figure out making a project with these women or doing something ongoing with these women. There's a weekly CDP practice that I host here, contemplative dance practice. That's a thing that was kind of crafted or created by Barbara Dilly. Simple 20 minutes of meditation, personal warm-up, 20 minutes open space. And I do that right now. I offer it on Monday afternoons and there's a group of students who show up or don't, but typically do show up. And so we do this practice together, um, which is not about aesthetics or intelligibility it's really about having an experience in your body that is where you're at at the moment it's kind of an extension of an authentic movement practice almost um but i think these ladies now actually have the capacity to understand what they're doing in a moment right before this class i not to like 
it's, it's still, we're all still on the journey, but the idea of having 20 minutes to move the way that you're interested in moving right now is terrifying for most people, right? Like, what do I even do? What, how do I know what I want to do? Do I, how do I not just do basically a bunch of like karate moves or yoga moves that someone taught me how to do? Like, what, what do I want to do? How do I check that out and listen to that? And so that's kind of what we've been practicing. And so I feel like now they can come in and enter that group and have a sense of what that means to be with other bodies and in their own body, following their own kind of sensation and physical curiosity. So maybe that's where we go, right? Maybe that's just having this community that's more and more people. Yeah, I just had an experience like a year ago. I taught a six-week course here in a senior center. And I feel like I like like you were talking with the work with inmates, you learn so much. Like you have those teachers in that room. And then when it's that kind of a one-time stretch, I'm always like, no, but now, now we get to do, now we can do, now we can go A, B, C, D, E, F, G, like instead of A, B, you know? So... I'm always curious about continuity and like if people find it a similar need to like not just drop in somewhere for six, seven weeks and then never do it again. But there's also time and children and family yes. and jobs. Yes. Those things are all real. Those things are all real. And yes, I hope to get another opportunity to do the thing with the prison. Some of it is just that the director of programming changes and so... She was a person who had a fair amount of power inside the system and was really a cheerleader for having dance and really believed in having dance in that environment. And there are other, there are other leaders in that system that are less interested in having dance. It's a complicating factor, right? It can bring up a lot of things. It's a little easier to have a sociology class where everyone's sitting down and there's a teacher who's lecturing. That's a kind of educating that's really valid and is wonderful and doesn't like kick up so much dust in the way that dancing does. And there's also mainstream questions about what the value is anyway. And compared to something like a history of Sri Lanka class, what are you going to walk away with in a dance class? And she just intuitively understood what you walk away with in a dance class. And not everyone has. So I, I, you know, a lot has to do inside the correctional facility itself and whether we meet them in a way where they say, yes, I will open this door for you of all the rooms that are very competitive and want to have programs in them. I'm going to give this room to you to do something with. Right. And that's, that's their, that's their like um, illuminated leadership. That's really their strong guidance. So I really appreciate her and any of the programming agents there who um, have such an open mind, more than an open mind are also cheerleaders for a different kind of rehabilitation that also involves the body. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, no, that is because that work that I have done here and in, in, with inmates is very little, but it is, very, it's a big system that you need to get in and you need to sort of have people who really see without a lot of the possibility to tell or show that this work is valuable. So it's true, you do need, you do need those people inside to sort of just know that this is good. Yeah, sometimes it happens over time. But sometimes I bet you realize in almost every institution that you've been in or community or collection of communities, there is someone who is a person in power who has been a door opener, right? Like you can do whatever the heck you want to do and you could spout whatever sentimental, excitable truisms that you want. But without that person who really is a visionary and who sometimes is a part of a more mainstream structure, but who says, yeah, for some reason, my daughter or myself or my son or some person in my life who I love 
has been really touched importantly by dance. There's been something about that permission that has meant something for them or that structure, whatever they relate to. So that feels key, right? It's not just us artists who are coming in like, yeah, let's just do it, right? It's people in power who also have said, I am, I got the key. I'm going to put it in that door and let you in there. Exactly. And that Moving. just means that we need to work more and more spreading dance all around communities to everybody so that we can have those people who have had the experience and are willing to get the key and open the door because they know not by reading an article, but by having a personal experience. There we go. There we go. I mean, it's interesting. It's the way that I feel like even LGBT legislation has moved forward and all kinds of social change actually happens, right? It's like people in power who may not have yet had an encounter with this community or this practice have an encounter. They have a niece, they have a nephew who's gay, they have a niece or nephew who's disabled, they have a daughter, they have a child, they have someone who they adore and love and refuse to believe that this practice or this ideology is something that is going to stand in the way of their, their kid or their niece getting like the attention of their services or the love or the programming that they totally richly deserve. And then boom, you open, the door. you use your key to open the door, right? Little by little, or sometimes a lot by a lot. 